Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. So I, I know some questions are coming in from people that are wondering like, okay, how do you find number one, private investors? And number two, these buyers, really, you can find buyers that have 10, 15% to put down. Aren't they like in really bad shape? If somebody can't get a mortgage, aren't they like, is that really a buyer you want in your house anyway? Well, that's the biggest uh, misnomer about this business is, well, if the bank won't give them a loan, they must be a deadbeat, right? Because we actually, I mean, do you believe that self-employed business people are the hardest working people on the planet? Oh, yeah. I I don't know anybody that owns a business that does a 40-hour week. I mean, they're 80, 100-hour a week. And and so these are the hardest working people on the planet. Those are the people the banks have singled out to not give a loan to. And the way that you filter from the deadbeats that don't pay their bill, their bills on time is, is you go through a licensed loan originator. So, so I, have, I have two licenses, Joe. I have a driver's license and a real estate license. I don't have a mortgage lender license. I don't have a debt collection license. I don't have a law degree or a, le- a law license. So, so basically, I surround myself with people who are licensed to do those tasks. I have a licensed loan originator who qualifies that buyer, not on the bank's criteria if they're going to sell the loan, but on their ability to repay that loan. We get a certificate from a licensed loan originator saying this person can't afford to have this loan. That was the scariest thing about Dodd-Frank, and and it shut down. Most private lenders just stopped immediately when Dodd-Frank came out because the teeth of the Dodd-Frank Act was that if you give someone a loan who did not have the ability to repay, they have three years to come back on you and say, you shouldn't have given me this loan, I couldn't afford it, and you have to refund all of the money that they've paid to you, interest and down payment. Right. So when I have them qualified through a licensed loan originator, they've just signed a loan application with a licensed lender, and if they try that trick and come and say, hey, you shouldn't have given me this loan, I couldn't afford it, you just pull out the loan application and say, where did you lie? That is a felony called mortgage fraud, and you know, I can get you a list of all the, the penal institutions. You can figure out what prison you want to reside in, or we can go a different route. I've never had anybody ever because I use a lender to qualify my buyers. This is why I don't like to buy notes from other people because I don't know what they did to qualify that person. So I have a title company. I never buy anything without full title insurance. Uh, title companies are mostly owned by attorneys. So they prepare the note and the deed of trust. So don't go online and find somebody else's paperwork. Just have your local title company prepare the paperwork. Right. They do private financing all the time. And then a law degree. And then also you have a licensed debt collector, the loan servicing company that collects the payments, pays the property tax, pays the insurance, the the hazard insurance on the property, pays off the first and sends you your check for the second. At the end of the year, they give 1099s and 1098s, uh, how much mortgage interest was paid and how much was received. And all the paperwork and everything and accounting is done for, by somebody else. So why, uh, you know, why would you want to do that yourself when, when somebody else will do it for you that has a license to do that work? Oh, yeah. 
And you even have a servicing company services that services the mortgage that handles the notes. You don't have to worry about collecting. Yes, I, I, I don't have any notes that aren't serviced professionally. I would highly recommend. Again, it's free. Why wouldn't you? And yeah, you don't need a property manager either <laughs> for a very good reason. Correct. Yeah. Right, let's talk about private lenders. Um, how, sure. you know, what, do you, what, what advice would you give to people wanting to, you know, interested in this, but like afraid of being able to find private money? Okay, so I think this is the easiest part of the equation. A lot of people, this is the most challenging part of the equation because it's what I tell them is that you have a six-inch problem. It's between your ears, right? And basically, you think that it's going to be hard to find somebody with money. Let's start off with money comes with trust. So you don't go to strangers and, and you don't advertise on Facebook or anything like that. That's a securities violation if, unless you have a securities license to attract lenders. Lenders are people you already know. They're people, if you're a, a real estate agent and you've sold someone's home, guess what? They've already trusted you once. How hard is it to go back and gain their trust again? And you know that they just got a big check when they closed on their house and they're probably getting 0.2. I mean, the stock market is, is uh, it's at all time highs and, and it's, you know, everybody's thinking there's going to be a pretty massive correction. And, but I think the best thing for someone that wants to get into this business is this is so easy. Um, get on Facebook marketplace and Craigslist and look for properties for rent. So, so if the properties for rent, how much cash flow is that landlord making right now? None, because the house is vacant. Well, it's actually less than, less than none, right? They're still paying property tax, insurance. Now the utilities are in their name. So they're actually bleeding money on it. And then next question, do you think the tenant that just left, left the house in pristine condition? No. Uh-oh. So these people just had to go down and spend several weekends getting the house back into rent-ready condition. And deep down inside, they really, really don't want to uh, they don't want to um, rent again, they, but they don't know any better. So what if you reached out to those people and say, hey, I saw your house online. It looks really nice in the pictures. When can I see it? I'm, I'm very interested in this. And what if you could make more money than you make in rent and you would never have another tenant again? What if you could make more money in rent and you'll never have another tenant again? You can make more money than rent because you're not the renter and you're turning them into um, from the owner of the property with all the liability to a lender on the property. So when you go talk to them, it's like, you know, if you sold your house, first of all, you're going to have whatever you bought it at is going to be a capital gain, right? But if you lend on the property, now the capital gain is, is spread out over several years. You only pay tax on the money as you receive it. So, so that would soften your tax flow. But the biggest thing is what if you had a lease that said the tenant is to keep all light bulbs functioning at all times and they're to leave no personal property out at night. And the kid leaves the bike on the sidewalk and the porch lights burned out. Somebody comes, trips on it, breaks their neck. Who are they going to sue? The landlord. Okay, so now, Joe, you're the first position lender, and I'm the second position lender. That person sues the landlord, and they get a judgment against that landlord, and they go attach it to the property. What position is that judgment in? 
it's behind the the mortgage holders. Yeah, it's in third. It's in third. third. Right. That's so, so, so instead of being the guy that's in the crosshairs of getting sued, you're the first one to get paid. Hmm. And you have no property manager. You have no property tax. You have no insurance. You have no vacancy, maintenance, or repairs. Most people, like if you just use an easy example, if you have $1,000 of rent and the property is free and clear, you would be very lucky to net $600 a month. Right. But if they carry that property, how much deposit does the tenant give them? Typically one month's rent. How would you rather have 10% of the value up front? So how do you as the investor who called them, uh, how how do you as the investor who called them make any money from this? It sounds like you're just teaching them how to do owner finance. No, they're the first and you're the second. Uh Aha. You're the insurance policy that, that protects their first. So basically, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And this is something you should always bring up. What if they don't pay me? Well, the first thing that would happen is that buyer would lose their $15,000 down payment. The second thing that would happen is my entire $30,000 note would be wiped out if I don't jump in and foreclose for you. So rather than lose this $30,000 note on a property that likely has appreciated in value, um, I would foreclose on it and I would call you and say, how many payments are you short? I'm going to send you the missing payments and the late fee and I'm going to keep you paid until I get that property foreclosed on and I find a new buyer. And then I'm going to come back to you and say, you know what? You have just experienced the absolute worst thing that could have happened in this situation. And you made more money with the late fees than you would have made if it paid on time. How many investments do you have where the worst case scenario pays you more than the best case scenario? Mm -hmm. That's pretty compelling, isn't it? Oh yeah. Just to be clear, the reason why you're doing that is because you're foreclosing on that buyer and you're getting somebody else in there who can put another down payment down. Correct. And likely have a higher sale price if depending upon when in the process it happens, it likely is, has increased in value. Yeah. Well then, but, but again, know, for the same reasons we were talking to the retirees, we're using the same thing to insert ourselves into the position as a second position loan. And again, if you're a real estate broker or agent, you have a fiduciary duty to always do what's best for the, the person that you're dealing with, even if it's not your customer or your client, it's your customer. So you always offer them the opportunity to do it. Or if you want, I could be an insurance policy behind your first and I would carry the second for $30,000. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. But if they don't, then we say, okay, well then it would just be a normal real estate sale and we can charge a commission. Joe, how much is a real estate agent worth who sells your home for $15,000 more than anybody else could get you? Pretty good. At least 15000 right? <laughs> it pays the commission. Exactly. So on these deals, if they opted for just me to be a, a, a real estate broker, and I'm just throwing out a number. I'm not price fixing or anything. Just for a, an example, what if I told them my commission was 10%? Do you know any agents that get 10% on residential sales? No. Uh-uh. Okay, so 10% of a 115 would be 11.5, right? That would be the commission on this $100,000 home that we sold for 115. Right that seller still walked out with $3,500 more than the gross on the MLS sale. Yeah. 
are traditional sale. I mean, I'm a, I use the MLS. I'm a member of the MLS. I mean, I'm not disparaging realtors. It's just in this society, there are one out of four people. If you go to LEMA.com and you look at the Origination Insight Report, they publish it every month. You can sign up and have it emailed to yourself. Every month they, they come out and this is the number of loans in the United States that were applied for that were not granted. And it's running right at, at one out of four people that apply for a loan are turned away by the bank. Wow. Well, that's 25%. So, right. And, and a lot of those people, you know, they, they should get loans. And I'm not pro- a proponent of everybody gets a house. But these are people, and when you, that's why I stick so, so hard on the minimum of 10% down. I, I'm actually getting a better borrower than the banks are. You know, a USDA loan will, will lend 102% of the, of the value. Yeah, that's insane. A, um, a VA loan is 100%. An FHA loan is 96.5%. A conventional loan is 5% down. And I'm requiring them to put at least 10% down. And then I'm coming behind that loan with a second position mortgage for you know, 30% of the value. And the retiree is, is investing 70% of the value. How does that 70% loan look compared to all of the mainstream bank loans as far as risk goes? Well, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's pretty crazy. All right, so the question I was just thinking about, what kind of homes are we dealing with here? Are you dealing with you know, lower-end rental properties, Class C, Class D neighborhoods? Because you know, everybody's, even with owner financing, it doesn't mean that it doesn't take away all your problems. Or are you dealing with more median-priced, middle-income, bread-and-butter neighborhoods? Here's, here's the way I, I basically think when it comes to what I invest in. Real estate is like a pyramid. At the base of the pyramid are the most people that can afford the lowest priced home in that area, right? So as you go higher up in price, the number of buyers who, you know goes thinner and thinner and thinner. I want, it, as a fallback plan, what if something bad happens? I want the property that is the highest in demand. The lowest priced houses always have the highest demand. Because of that high demand, they appreciate at a faster rate than the higher priced homes. So what's kind of interesting is of all the notes I own, I don't have a single note that is on a property that I would personally want to live in. That doesn't mean they're scary or dangerous or anything else. I I won't invest in a gang-invested war zone kind of neighborhood. I like blue-collar, bread-and-butter. You know, right now, what we used to be between... We were buying flips for sixty thousand and selling them all fixed up for like one fifteen. The same model that we've been been talking about, but now those homes, the ARV or the end price that we're selling them at is like one sixty five, one seventy, and that's kind of my bread and butter is right in that price point. Buyers are bringing in at least ten percent down, so like fifteen to twenty thousand dollars cash down payment, and then the retirees are usually, you know, it kind of goes to crickets when you get much over 150000 as far as the retirees that want to put all their eggs in one basket. So I like the lower price points. And, you know, you go to markets like Jackson, Mississippi, or, or Kansas City, or Dayton, or Indy, or, you know, there's, you can buy houses all day long for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. And, I mean, and they rent for 700 a month. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, this model would just kill it in those markets. But I, I have two criteria for my investment. I bought a bunch of non-performing loans early on uh, back in 2012. And even though I got them for less than 35 cents on the dollar, I ended up losing money on all of them because I was basically buying someone else's junk. So I 
have two rules. One, I want the payment to be cheaper than rent. And two, I only invest in areas where I have a friend that I trust who lives in that town with boots on the ground in that town and who is invested in that deal with me. So I was like, hey, Bob, you should invest in this. And, you know, it's in Missouri or Kansas or, you know, somewhere. And I don't know, you know, somebody there that's local. It's like, yeah, let's do that together. We'll partner on it. And you're the boots on the ground and I'll bring in the money and we can split that. And not necessarily a 50-50 split. It just depends on the deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if it's a wholesale price and you're getting the house well below market value, then the deal actually would um, merit a better than 50% split because the majority of the profit came from the deal. But, you know, if it's a, a deal that can't close without the private financing, then the money has the upper hand. The money should get paid more. Right. All right. So then um, how do you find these deals then? What are your favorite? What are some of your favorite? They, they, well, they're all around you. I mean, it's just when word gets out, you should go, go talk to all your escrow officers, anybody that mortgage lenders. I, I get a ton of business from my mortgage lender, but people that can't qualify with him. And I mean, he sends me people to be financed. He's the lender in the equation. (laughs) And it's like, hey, we had a dentist that had um, uh, 16 owned properties and several of them he'd had for over 20 years. And they're all worth over 200,000. And he had the mortgages paid down to 40 grand on each one. But he couldn't even refinance out. He's actually selling his his practice and retiring. And he's going to have to carry the note on his practice. And he needed to free up some cash to be able to do that. And, and the bank wouldn't refinance him out of any of those homes. So we actually gave him a private money loan for 165 grand. He went in and paid off a bunch of those $40,000 mortgages that got him below the 10 cap. And he started refinancing a lot of the properties. And he ended up actually being able to buy four more houses before he lost his, his income. Uh, you know, for his retirement, more rental properties. And then he paid the loan off. So that was a little short-term loan. Um, but, but it's kind of funny. Here's a, you know, a high income producer. I mean, well into six figures, probably more than halfway to seven. And, and uh, the bank wouldn't give him a loan. So, you know, somebody who's just getting started in this, they like the idea. Obviously they get some of your training and you'll teach this stuff, but you know, the, how, is there, do you do any direct to seller marketing? like postcards or letters, or do you send, do you just go on the MLS and look for properties that have been on the MLS for over 90 days that are in your target price range and just make offers at 90 cents on the dollar? Could you do that? You you certainly could. Honestly, Joe, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years. I can't keep up with the people that call me every week. I don't advertise at all. I mean, I seriously, I have a radio show. And I have, you know, advertisers that help me pay for that radio show. But that is the only advertising I do other than putting up traditional real estate signs. But if you're going to, depending upon how you're looking, I mean, the best way to attract a buyer is a bandit sign. Well, I understand buyers, but I'm talking about the sellers, the houses. Buyers are easy. I totally agree, right? So, So basically, you have to get your message out. And I actually have a commercial that runs on the radio that says, if you want to list your house, call somebody else. If you want to sell it, call me. Yeah, like I'm, I well, just, I mean, most people, if you ask them that question, do you want to list or sell? What do you think the answer is? <laughs> oh, yeah. Want to sell it. That would be a great postcard. Do you want to list your house or do you want to sell it? Sure. Call me. I'll buy it. Right. And the easiest thing is once you've done one of these deals, you send a postcard to every house on that street. Hey, here's all the recent sales, but look at this one. 
and, and you're kind of just patting yourself on the back because uh, that, that was the one I sold. If you want to find out how this neighbor of yours got more than anybody else in the neighborhood, you should call me. Yeah. And what if you don't have any inventory at all and you got no properties to sell? So let me just ask you, Joe, if, if I came up to you and offered you a million dollars for your house, would you sell it to me? Yeah. Okay, so your house is for sale, isn't it? What if you just took a picture of your own house and put it out there? All right, so I, I'm looking at this one house right now in Florissant, Missouri, which is a got a good blue-collar yep. neighborhood. It's full gut rehab, an investor's trying to sell. It's been on the market now 323 days. And maybe that's some wow. errors in that number because they fixed it up. You know, so, uh, but it says here, back on the market, no fault of the seller. Okay, total gut rehab. They're asking 155 for it. Great, solid, blue-collar neighborhood. $155,000, four beds, two baths, 1,400 square feet. So I, I call the seller up, or the realtor even. Say, hey, you know what? I'm interested in this sure. house, and I'm going to make you, I'll make you an offer for, it's at, they're asking 155 times 0.9. I'll make an offer for 140. And they say, yeah, sounds great. Let's do it. Is it as easy as that? Now I go find a buyer. I mean, I go find a private investor now. So I'm going to buy it for $139,500. I got to find an investor who will, who will invest. Um, one, well, I've just lost my numbers here. One fifty-five. I'm sorry. I'm doing this on the fly on my keyboard. With sure. calculator. I'm going to offer them $140,000. Okay, $139,500 actually. Right. Then I'm going to find a private investor at 70% of that. I'm going to find a private investor who's got $97,650. I'm well, it's, going to not, um, it's not 70% of, of the purchase price. It's 70% of the ARV. Oh, oh which, which is, let's just say it's one fifty-five. dollars the, the value, you're, you're offering less than they're asking for it. But if you go look, I mean, I always look at Zillow just to see what it is. But of course, Zillow doesn't know about that specific home, but they're very accurate on the on the average for the area, as long as your house is within the same square foot range as the average. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just say this house, Zillow is, well, they just, okay, they just cut their price five grand. So let's say the, the ARV, the true ARV of the house is 150. All right. And so I'm going to go get 150 times 0.7. I'm going to get a private investor to put down or to give me $105,000. And they'll be at 70% of 150 at $105,000. i am going to advertise the property to a buyer for, let's say it's worth $150 today. Well, they're selling it for $155. Um, I'm going to advertise this house for what? $170? Owner financing? Um, well, it depends on... On, on how much work needs to be done. I mean, oh, if, um, spotless. if it's a full good rehab, and, oh, 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 they did the rehab already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was a full gut rehab. It's been completely fixed up. And why do you think it hasn't sold? Well, they're going to say it, it's fell, it fell through. They found a buyer for it, and the buyer couldn't get the financing, so it fell through, and it's back on the market now. And it's, it's overpriced. But, you know, according to anyone looking... Online, that house, you know, would have, there's something wrong with it because it's been for sale for almost a year, right? Well, yeah. I think if, if you were going to ask me, knowing this neighborhood, I bet you the days on market are so high because they they bought it and they put it back on the market pretty quickly. So it's still calculating the old days when it was needing work. Does that make sense? Right. 
And oftentimes what happens is, you know, Zillow, when you buy something wholesale and it gets recorded at that price, what does Zillow do to the value immediately? They, yeah, they drop it. They drop it to what you just paid for it. So, so now it's showing up right on the front page of Zillow. Everybody knows how much you paid for it. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. It says on Redfin for 323 days. So it's been on Redfin. I don't know if it's been on the MLS for okay, okay. 325 sure. days. So, all right. So can, I appreciate you doing this for me because this is helpful to me. And I think everybody listening to this, they're advertising this house right now for 155. Let's just say it's really worth 150. And so I'm going to make an offer at 90% of that, which is 139500 That's a pretty good deal. Like, you know, they're used to, I mean, that's really close to uh, a full price offer. Yeah, I mean, they're going to pay that anyway because of the, and, and you know, I don't ever try to go around a real estate agent. I mean, I've heard you say this many times on your podcast that, you know, hey, employ the realtor. And once they figure out that you're not going to try to cheat them, they will be active searchers for you to find houses. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's a great point. <laughs> That's a really good point. All right, good. So I'm going to offer the seller $139,500. let us say they take it. Um, so I'm going to go out and get a private investor, and I'm going to borrow, I'm going to get $105,000, which is 70% of the ARV. So they're well protected. Right. I'm going to turn around and advertise the house for $165 as owner financing. Sure. Okay. Well, and what? How do people buy cars? They haven't bought a car on the sale price in thirty years. Oh, and people payments. buy cars based on the monthly payment. Yeah. So, so the way to advertise it, I mean, of course, the Reg Z comes into play. If you're going to give the payment, you have to give the rate and the term and the and the amount. But you know, that's the way you attract their attention. And again, I'm dealing. You know, I'm purposely hunting for contractors, roofers, electricians, framers, those kind of people. So, so where I find my people is I actually, you know, I put up bandit signs around the, the paint supply store, the plumbing supply store, the electrical supply store, and, and those contractors are going there several times a day. And, and you just got a sign, you know, that, that basically says, you know, own for less than rent and, and, and a phone number. I mean, you don't need, everybody over advertises. I mean, the, the information that you put on your, the, the idea of an ad is to get a phone call. The idea of a phone call is to set an appointment and not to give the whole thing out. You know, if you want to learn how not to advertise, just go get a real estate magazine and open it up and, you know, three bedroom, two bath, 2,200 square feet, two car garage. I mean, every single word of that ad is pushing people away. The minute you said three bedrooms, anybody looking for two or four disconnected, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So now you've got, and what you're looking for is a renter that's paying more than the payment would be that on, on your, on your home. Yeah. So I'm looking at the, I mean, you could go to your, you could go to your title company and get a list of all the out of state owners or, or people that get the property tax bill sent to a different address than the property. That would pretty much tell you that's a rental, right? Oh yeah. Thirty-four five hundred. Okay, so um, now I got a. Uh, I, I find a buyer who's got fifteen percent. And this house in this area, I can get fifteen percent down. Find a buyer who's got twenty-four thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. I did fifteen percent of one sixty-five. Yep. They put down twenty-four thousand, which then leaves. I would create then a second. I'd have to put nine thousand dollars, about nine thousand dollars of my own money in to create a $34,500 note, right? And what if you didn't have $9,000? Because I'm yep. sure people listening maybe yes. maybe don't. 
You think somebody would split that note with you? Oh yeah, all day long. So, what would my payments be on a? What would I be receiving on in payments, monthly payments on on a thirty four thousand five hundred dollar note, approximately? Like two thirty ish, thirty four five. So I hope you guys are listening or paying attention to this because you may not. Now, I, I've created a first note of one hundred and five thousand dollars, a second note of thirty four thousand five hundred dollars, right? To create that note, I had to bring yeah. in nine thousand dollars of my own cash to get the seller the price that they needed to walk away with. By the way, Bob has a calculator, I think, <laughs> that does all of this work for right, lots of lots of them. Lots of and, and, and by the way, that two that two fifty three payment would pay back your initial investment in thirty five months. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty good gauge of an investment. If you can put your money in and have it all back out in three years, and you're going to get paid for twenty seven more, that's a pretty good investment. Well, yeah, and then you start looking at the your return on investment, in terms of you know your rate yep. of rate of return. It's insane. I, I don't have the calculator in front of me here, but like. You're talking about creating a $34,000 note with only $9,000. And if you don't have that $9,000, you can find another private investor who would bring that with you. Would somebody uh, give you $9,000 to create a, um, what is the half of that, uh, uh, $18,000 note? Sure. $17,000 note? And what if you even bypassed? And this is something that a lot of people think that you have to season a note to sell it. I mean, we sell them all the time on the, at the closing table without a single payment ever having been made based on the qualification of the buyer and based on the amount of money that they put down. I mean, that becomes a very secure investment. So, so, you know, you look at this, it's $253 a month. So, so basically you say, how many other people do you think would like a payment of two fifty three fifteen a month in this country? Do you think anybody else would like to just get mailbox money with $253 a month? with never a tenant or a toilet or anything. Now, what if I just said, you know, I don't have the $9,000. Joe, I've got this $34,000 note. Would you give me 24 for it? <laughs> and it's a good buyer. Yeah, sure. Right, right. So now basically you needed nine. They just paid you 24. So you walked out with a $15,000 profit on the day of the closing. This, but, but you you're just... given your, your... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're cutting the head off the golden goose, though. I mean, you're eating the golden goose for dinner instead of harvesting the eggs. Well, yeah. The, when you look at these numbers, guys, you're, you're, it's amazing. It, my mind was blown when I heard Bob talking about this the first time because I'm thinking, holy smokes. Like, I can make more money doing this strategy um, than I can. And I'm offering the seller 90 cents on the dollar. I'm offering the seller 90 cents on the dollar. And I can make more money on this than I can a regular wholesale flip. It's ins- and I get if I'm staying in the middle of it, I get better cash flow on this than I would uh, buying it and and renting it out to a tenant. So anyway, yep. <laughs> I know we dove deep in the numbers, and and then, and then you ask them um, these these you know let's say that we found a landlord a burned out tired landlord that had this property and it's vacant and we go pick it up and they do the you know the the note behind you. And and then you talk to them about the liability of, you know, the slip and fall accidents and things like that. And they're going to actually make more money and never have any more. Do you think that investor might own more than one rental property? Oh, yeah. 
So once you show them the, the light on one, I mean, you just got 12 off-market properties that nobody else knows about. And so again, if you're an investor though, how do you make money on that with his properties? Do you just, you make the money by structuring the deal? Right. Does that, does that um, buy and hold landlord have buyers who are able, ready, willing, and able to pay a higher than Zillow value price for the home? Probably, yeah. That's your value. That's what you're bringing to the table. They're, they're in the rental mode and you're educating them. And, and then basically it's like, I don't know how to do this. And it's like, well, what if I jumped in the investment with you and did it with you? Oh. And then let's just say you, you pick up this 34.5 note and you paid 9,000 out of pocket for it. And let's just say that you season it for payments. So you collect four payments. Now it's proven that this guy is paying on time and the first is being paid too. So that retiree that funded the first is happy because they're getting their check on time. And you call that person up and you say, um, hey, you know what? I've got another opportunity and I think I'm going to sell this note that I did with you. Hey, you're in first place. Um, do you want to buy out my second? Would you like an extra 250 on top of the payment you're getting? What do you think the answer is going to be? Yeah. <laughs> and then what do they say? Um, oh, but it's a second. It's risky. It's like when you own the first, how much risk is there? Are you afraid of yourself? So what would you sell it to that seller, to the uh, first investor for? Face value. Face value. Or you can discount it. In. Yep. I sold $300,000 worth of seconds last year and at par. And what was exactly what was owed on them. All right. Because, I mean, this is the difference. If you're going to go try to sell that note to an investor, they're going to want to discount you deeply. On a second, I mean, you, you, you could be discounted 20, 30%. Yeah. The person already owns the first. They already have gotten a taste of the four checks that came. And now you're offering them on the same reliable buyer to own the second position and get an extra 250 on it when they're in first. <laughs> I mean, I, I, most people are going to want to do that. And, you know, I, I just have so many retired people that came to me and they did all the right things. They worked 40, 45 years. They paid off their house and they basically don't have the money to take a car vacation. And I introduced them to these notes and they are unbelievably, uh, they're going to their bridge parties and, and playing cards with people and pinochle and, and telling all their friends, uh, and, and hey, we're going to Florida on vacation, and all their friends say, how do you afford that? It's like, oh, you got to talk to my friend Bob. I mean, Bob Zachmeyer will hook you up. And, and, and so, I mean, it just kind of feeds on itself, and that's why I say I don't have to advertise because I've been doing this long enough where it just every – Every time I go to a national event and speak, I mean, I literally come home with at least seven figures of capital that people want to put to work. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, Bob, this is might be one of the longest podcasts I've, I've done in a really, really long time ever. <laughs> and uh, this has been so good. We might have to break this up into two parts. But how can people get a hold of you? How can they get these calculators that we were talking about? And you... You know, you do some you do some really amazing coaching calls every week. But how how can somebody reach you? Get their get your books, stuff like that. So um, my email is just very easy. Bob at notecarry dot com. My website notecarry dot com has can uh, sign up for my coaching. I'm I'm very inexpensive as far as uh, coaches go. It's basically twenty nine ninety eight for a year of my coaching and access to all my calculators. I do a, a one-hour webinar 48 weeks a year, 
So I, I've recorded over 220 webinars, and then the, I constantly am adding more calculators. The market's changing, so a new deal comes along. I'll build another calculator to put it out there. But NoCarry.com is, is the best site, Bob at NoCarry.com. And then if you just go to um, uh, YouTube or, or just Google my name, and search under videos. There, I, I've spoken at many major events, and they recorded the, the um, presentation and put it online. So there's at least a dozen videos where you can actually see some of my presentations. My um, coaching is a, is a membership site, so I don't have any of that online for free. But there are several places that I've uh, spoken on some of the best-known note educators in the country. Nice. And, and so that that's just, I mean, to see... What, what you want. But the biggest thing is how many deals, like the ones we described today on the call, how many of those do you need to do to afford 10 years of my coaching? You know, it's like one. <laughs> yeah. And and then I, you know, I have a deal for uh, returning members on New Year's Eve every year. I knock a thousand bucks off the twenty nine ninety eight price. And, and uh, so it's 1998. You get to write it off this tax year, but it doesn't hit my bank account until next year. January one. So, so basically I get to use that money free and clear for 15 months until April 15th of 2021. That's why I'm willing to do it because I can put that to work and earn for over a year and not pay taxes on it yet. So it's kind of a, a win-win for everybody. And that's pretty much the secret to success. And as I noticed all of the speakers that you've had, they all have the same common theme and that's make it a win, 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 win deal. And so many wins, you can't count them on one hand. You're going to be just massively successful. Nice. You also have a a deal board, don't you? Where people post deals, they have deals, need money. They have money, they need deals. I do. We have a, a, a on Podio, and that's a, a membership benefit. We have a Facebook uh, page that if people need you know, some help from other members, we have a, a group Facebook page. And then I actively, you know, if somebody has a deal, I'm not, I'm not a coach that calls you every week and kicks you in the butt to go out and put up signs or something like that. But if you have a deal, I mean, I will schedule a time with you to sit down and we'll structure that deal. And then I will put that deal on my next week's webinar. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we fund them, you know, within a minute on the webinar. And and I have over half of the members in my group. I have members in 26 states, and over half of the members in the group are not deal finders. They're millionaires, place their money, and they're looking for somebody that's been educated and that takes the same precautions I do for the investor to protect their, you know, their interests. So it's quite common, and, and that's something I, I put all any personal deal that that I'm not going to hold myself. I, I put on my uh, my note carry members first. They get first access to it because they're paying for my coaching. Cool. So notecarry.com is uh, some information about your coaching. And then also you've got some books on Amazon. What's your, what's your book you'd recommend to folks? If you're interested in doing notes, I mean, I, I published this book October of 2018. It's called Who Needs the Bank? That book just went viral, and it, it outsold my other five in three months. And it is, I wrote it actually for my coaching students to hand out to their potential friends and, and relatives that might have money to finance. And it just educates people that they can be a bank. And it compares the lending on a note. All the things we talked about today, it compares the risk. It compares the reward versus the bank versus the stock market versus a rental property. You know, what if they don't pay me? That's addressed. I mean, every question, I I basically just for several years took notes of every question I'd been asked, and I just put it all in this book. And each chapter is three pages, four pages at most long. 
and, and that includes uh, the title page. But, I mean, you can go to the index and look at whatever question you want to answer and go straight to the answer, or it's a two-hour cover-to-cover read. And I literally have coaching students who are buying them by the case and handing them out to everybody, and that's where they're finding all their funding. And so the book is definitely doing the, the you know, it's fulfilling the purpose that I wrote it for. Nice. <laughs> that's really good. Really good. All right. Anything else, Bob, you want Thank to say? You. I recently purchased a motorhome in Florida and drove it 2,200 miles. And the entire trip, Joe, I, I had you in my ear. Um, I, I basically did nothing but, but listen to your podcast all the way home. And, you know, it's just funny. I mean, everybody's like, well, why are you doing that? You already do all this stuff. It's like I got some awesome ideas. I mean, unbelievably good ideas that I can tweak my model and add a couple other little aspects to them and actually make it better. And, and just keep an open mind. You know, the market's changing and you got to change in front of it. You can't wait to, you know, to have what you were doing go bad like my REO did. You got to constantly be looking at what's coming next. And we can do a whole nother uh, podcast, Joe, on using the same exact model, except now turning it into a lease option model. Well, let's do it. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> awesome. Sure. Uh, let's end this one. Then I will, uh, we'll talk in just a second here and schedule that next one. All, All right. right. Sounds like a plan. Piqued my interest in that. Lease options. I love lease <laughs> All right. Hey, guys, uh, this has been a great podcast. I hope you've been enjoying it. I hope you get a lot out of it. It's going to be one of those. You're going to need to rewind it and take notes. Um, and uh, So go to notecarry.com. Check out Bob's site. Go get his book on Amazon, Who Needs the Bank? In fact, I have a Kindle um, Unlimited, and I can get it for a dollar. No, zero dollars. It's For some reason, I can get it for free. <laughs> but um, well, if you're a Kindle member, they have the, the the book on Kindle. That's correct. And then, Joe, one other thing, I do have a conference one time a year. I put on a three day conference. Yes. And the, the, I just had it eleven or October of 2019. It was the eleventh year in a row that I've done it. And on that conference, I donate 100% of the proceeds to the Make a Wish Foundation. And that little conference, you know, one time a year for 11 years has generated over $500,000 for Make-A-Wish. That's so um, it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, that's a, you know, a give back in, in your community. And I set a goal on my 50th birthday to donate a million dollars to Make-A-Wish before I died. Wow. And, and it's pretty cool. So I, I just, I, yeah, so I mean, I think, I think I'm going to make it. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so when is your next uh, event, conference? It'll be the first or second week in October. Of I do it in October every year. It's uh, Tucson weather is fantastic. Um, we're right on the campus of the University of Arizona at the uh, Marriott, and uh, they are actually on the board of directors with me on, for Make-A-Wish, and they give me the room in the hotel at just unbelievably low prices, and that's what enables us to grant you know, 10 to 11 wishes every time we hold the conference. Wow. But it's, so it's October, and just kind of stay tuned and, and – uh, but that is called the Note Business Builder. And actually, in my book, Who Needs the Bank, every website I have is, is in the back on, on the last page. The um, Note Business Builder is um, the, the conference information. We don't have a date selected yet. I was planted around the University of Arizona football games uh, so that there's not a home game and we don't have the hotel booked up. And so that way people can come. We had 135 people attend this year at the conference. Nice. Okay. Awesome, Bob. Thank you so much. And uh, don't get off yet. We'll talk here in just a minute. Guys, if you want a transcript okay. of this podcast, if you want uh, to get the notes and the links that we talked about, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. 
realestateinvestingmastery.com. And just go to the search bar, do a search for Bob. You'll find this uh, podcast there. And uh, thank you very much, guys. We will see you on the next episode where we'll be talking with Bob again. It probably won't be as long as this one, <laughs> but we'll be talking about <laughs> how, how does this whole, all the same deal structuring with lease options, which sounds really awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bob. Yep. All right. No problem. 